Farm, Food, Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to the Farm Food Facts Interactive Podcast presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance for Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019. Welcome to the new year. In a special podcast today, we revisit three highlights since we launched Farm Food Facts. Our CEO, Aaron Fitzgerald, will kick off today's podcast, followed by Walter Robb, the former co-CEO of Whole Foods and one of the most insightful people in the food world, and farmer Jimmy Webb, a past recipient of Georgia's Farmer of the Year Award, who farms corn, cotton, and peanuts. Let's get started. Aaron, we often hear the term honor the harvest. What does it really mean? You know, honor the harvest is really a mindset about recognizing what it takes to produce food in the 21st century. In the United States, we, we have a lot of culture and um, interaction with food at our dinner tables, but we often um, have referred through, throughout our history, we referred to land of milk and honey, a bread basket, mm-hmm. amber ways of grain, and my favorite, blessed and bountiful. We even have a whole holiday dedicated to honoring the harvest but we might not have identified what it takes to honor the harvest in the 21st century. We have unprecedented change that's happening in agriculture, that we have to produce 70% more food with 2% less land, and we have this crazy thing that we call climate change. Another way to look at it is that we have 40 chances to produce as much food as we've produced in all of mankind in the last 8,000 years. It's gonna require incredible change. And we need to maybe think about our food as a great, our greatest natural resource harvested from our land. Farmers cannot do this for us in the next 40 years if we do not value food as one of the greatest natural resources and use it for its intended highest purpose, which is to nourish people, then nourish animals, and then replenish the land to grow more food. In many ways, honoring the harvest is using food to its highest purpose and really thinking about how you are utilizing food, not eating too much, using it to nourish your families, recognizing in your communities that there are still one in six people who are facing hunger in America, and making certain that we don't throw away food. It is a natural resource, and if you need to throw it away, you're using it and as ability to compost or um, replenish the land. So thinking about it almost as a food cycle. Well, Aaron, you know, we see the stats that show that to the point of waste, that 40% of all food um, around the globe is actually being wasted. So is that the first step to honoring the harvest? Should we really be working with consumers, with retailers, with farmers, with everybody to really lower that high level of waste? Yeah, I mean, if we think about food as as all that hard work that farmers did to harvest the, the food and make it available for us, you know, we need to make certain that we're not taking too much and we're nourishing our bodies and eating diverse foods, but we're not you know, needlessly throwing it away. There's also this other juxtaposition of taking too much and then this other construct where people don't have enough. And so really recognizing both the social and environmental responsibility when we think about our food system, that it is about healthy eating, not taking too much and not wasting it, what we do take, and recognizing it as a natural resource. And then, and then also thinking about the social component of our actions 
and really recognizing that a lot of people don't have food at this time. Erin, thank you so much for joining us. Our thought leader is Walter Robb, former co-CEO of Whole Foods, who's now investing in food and agriculture and will share his insights on both organic and conventional agriculture, how we need both to work together, the importance of retailers working with farmers, how food and agriculture is moving sustainability forward through technology and continuous improvement. Let's get started. Walter, welcome to Farm Food Facts. You've been quite busy since leaving Whole Foods. I know you've invested in or now part of the leadership of Food Maven, a unique company that's making significant efforts to eliminate food waste. Tell us a bit more about Food Maven to start. Well, morning, Phil, and thanks for having me on. And uh, I love listening to the the turkey talk. This is, uh, as you know, the busiest food day of the year. This is the day when this is the high point for selling food as a retailer is as a food retailer, simply no better day. And I was going to tell you my one quick turkey story, sure. which is yeah, of course. finally a couple, a couple of years ago, how do you sell more turkeys? Finally, one of our store team leaders just said to heck with it and put a big old honking sign on the front of the store and said, buy your turkey now. It's like less than subtle. It's just like, here, we're ready to sell you the turkey. So it is a big day for food. And when you put that turkey in the basket, you do pick up uh, a lot. You, you may have a much larger basket size. But I'm happy to visit about um, food Maven. It is uh, as as I um, stepped down from Whole Foods about a year ago, when we sold to Amazon. I have been um, looking around and investing in uh, and working with. Uh, I think a group of entrepreneurs that I think are creating, uh, you know, some of the new companies for the food companies for the future. And one of the companies I'm very excited about is a company called Food Maven, based out of Colorado. They're in one the Denver market now, and they're moving shortly into their second market, which I'm not sure they've announced yet, but. Essentially, what we have here systemically is of the food produced and grown and distributed in the United States, about 40% is wasted, wasted in the sense that it's not used. So it's produced but not used. So we're pretty good at growing food in the United States. We're pretty good at eating it, but we're not so good at using all of it. And about 25% of our landfills is, in fact, fresh food. To give you an example, what happens is, let's say, you know, five pallets of butter lettuce comes into the Whole Foods Distribution Center. It doesn't meet spec. In other words, uh, the spec may be, uh, a specification may for the lettuce to be at X size or X diameter, X, and for whatever reason, maybe a little bit short. And so it gets, the term is bounced, uh, which is to say sent back. In the old days, this would just go, you know, does go back to the farmer, but by the time it gets back to the farmer, it's no good because it's another couple of days, you know. Mm-hmm. So where does it go? It goes to the dumps um, or it goes to, Somewhere. So what Food Maven is to do is to say, all right, this this is a thing, a solution whose time has come that we, we need to really address this, particularly given the number of people don't have enough food and, and so forth. So they combine old school logistics, picking up the product, uh, warehousing it, uh, uh, but they also then have made a market into the retail food service industry so that they can find a home for that produce in a timely manner. That is true also, let's say a chicken company is producing 100,000 pounds of chicken breasts and the order comes in. Because, you know, customers, they don't, they don't follow always a straight line. Well, they don't, the order only comes in for 50,000 chicken breasts. What is that chicken producer going to do? They're going to freeze it? No, that's an extra step, extra mm-hmm. labor, extra cost. So, so what happens is Food Maven, again, can pick a step in, take that, and make a market uh, for that. They have uh, invested in uh, <clears throat> the technology, the platform, and the data tools to uh, can t- increasingly become more sophisticated about creating matches uh, for that food with various retail food customers. And the beauty of the model is it's a win-win-win in the sense that uh, typically food maybe takes it on consignment. 
but the retail food service customer gets a nice deal, gets a nice quality product at a, at a, at a lesser price. The producer now gets the food maven cuts the producer in for something versus they were going to get nothing before and food maven takes a slice for providing the services and as their platform and technology continues to and data continues to improve they're able to you know really make the make that market function so i love the fact that they're essentially making a market in a new world order for something that had no solution had just you know uh legacy systems that really weren't keeping up and solving this problem and that's an exciting company. It's the first one I've seen that I think really has the potential to scale. And what's been interesting is they're also getting contracts with hotel chains because a lot of cities, municipalities are creating ordinances around companies' responsibility with respect to food waste because they see the same problem on their end. And so as a result, this, this company is pretty exciting. And I think it's an issue that we don't talk so much about in the food industry. Uh, over the years, we talk more about the retailing and the production systems, but it is something that we now need to talk about in terms of being responsible with the food that we produce. Now, Walter, you know, you've always prided yourself on having a great relationship across the entire supply chain, especially with farmers and ranchers. What, what can retailers learn from you about the importance of working together with farmers and ranchers? In fact, uh, the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance just attended Grocery Shop a couple weeks ago where these farmers were actually able to talk and meet with retailers directly. So what, what can retailers learn from farmers and ranchers? Yeah. Well, so much. I, mean, I remember a few years ago at Whole Foods, we actually created a series of baseball cards, but the farmers were on the baseball cards. So, you know, the farmers being the hero sort of idea. And if you think about it in the value chain of a dollar, a grocery dollar that gets spent, the farmers typically get the smallest percent, even though they're you know, producing the food that we enjoy and eat. So uh, there, there's so much. I think what in more than just get to know from, I think there, we need to reimagine um, this whole the whole value chain and really think about where the value is being created and honor honor and celebrate each part. I mean, you know the the uh, um, you, you, the distributors are in the middle sometimes and that's difficult for them. But I've talked to so many farmers in the last six months. I've spoken at several conferences and you know they they uh, they see the problems with just being in the commodity markets. They're getting banged down. If you look at the dairy industry right now or some of the others, the pork industry being challenged by the tariffs. They're just they're not getting full dollar for their efforts. In many cases, they're losing money, and that's not a sustainable situation. So they're all asking me, "How do I get my? How do I get?" I, I think they feel underappreciated. Uh, they don't, their stewardship skills are not recognized. The responsibility they take for their land, and I think they're not feeling, you know, they're not feeling the love, if you will, for all the work that they do. So I think we've got to, as a nation recognize you know what these folks are doing and there's a declining number of farmers the aging of the farmers is well documented and while we do have a number of younger folks getting into the field it's hard and expensive to get land and when the markets are unpredictable like they are it's difficult for someone to see an economic you know future there so we got to kind of i'm like teachers we need to kind of reimagine and re-celebrate these farmers so i mean again you've seen at whole foods we've always tried to tell their stories put their pictures up really try to include them, invite them into the, with the, you know, connect them with the customer so people know who's raising their food. And customers today, particularly the younger generation, has an intense interest in who's raising their food and how their food's being raised. So I think there's opportunities for us to learn uh, and to spend the time with them, to, to, uh, to celebrate them, to, to tell their stories, to encourage them to, to come out as well. I mean, farmers tend to be shy. You know, a lot of the farmers don't, you know, you put them in a demo or something and they're, ah, shucks. 
you know, they're not, uh, they're not, uh, they're not people that they're typically people that work on their own or sort of enjoy that. And, you know, you put them in a social environment, sometimes it's harder for them to connect. Uh, they're not used to doing that. But I think those sorts of opportunities where we could, we could have them come to the store and demo, people love meeting them, tell their stories, you know, recognize our job is to merchandise the food and to present it in a compelling way, but their job is to grow it and, and to, to kind of tell the whole story that way. Um, so I, I think there's lots of things to learn both ways. And I think farmers sometimes have an unrealistic expectation that you can take every item that they grow from every farmer and sell it. Well, you know, at retail, you have to make choices. You, you know, we don't have endless space. And so there's things to learn both ways. But, you know, at the end, uh, I'm a relationship person before commerce. I think commerce comes from good relationships. And we always, you know, one of our key stakeholders was the supplier stakeholder and we try to always celebrate them and, and you know pay them on time you know they, that that's important to them so that they they can count on that and, and treat them with respect and try to tell their story so I, I think reimagining how we do this you know it's a battle out there in retail today for shares you know mm-hmm. everybody's playing the private label card a little more aggressively and in which case they don't necessarily put the farmer forward because they're playing on price so you've got all that to take into account but fundamentally recognizing that you know, farmers are the ones that are producing the food. Um, you know, obviously the Whole Foods, we continue to in, encourage them to taking more steps towards greater sustainability and transparency. So I'd love to see the conventional farming community continue to recognize that those things are important to customers. And I'd like the organic farming community to recognize that these conventional farmers of different sorts are, are you know, are pretty good stewards of the land as well. I think we just need more dialogue, more transparency, and more celebration of the fact that these folks are working so hard to produce the food for all of us. It's not an easy thing to do. It's backbreaking work, and and it's uh, you know it's you know it's not work that you know I I got a little garden in my backyard and I mess around, but it, when you get serious about doing it over acres and acres, it's a very serious deal. And so, so Walter, um, so you're not but, willing to take the 120,000 turkeys off Daryl's hands? And, and put those in the backyard? <laughs> yeah. No, but I, have a cer- I do have a certain set of skills to help him sell it. But ah, it okay. sounds like he's, he's already with HEB, though. He's, got, he's with a fine retailer. HEB is a very fine retailer. Exactly. So. Well, Walter, yeah. thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we have a farmer who's going to talk to us a lot about the devastation of our hurricane season. And as a result of it, there's a lot of farmers that are there hurting. So... Georgia corn, cotton, and peanut farmer, Jimmy Webb, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. So, Jimmy, before we get to the weather and the impact that it has on farming, I know you planted your first crop way back in 1986. What have been the most important changes in farming over those 32 years? Uh, Just like every other industry now is technology. Um, Technology has changed, and it's changing even rapider now than it started probably mid-90s. Cotton is the largest crop I produce, commands the most acres. When GMO cotton became available, it changed drastically the way we farmed. At one time, we would spray our cotton probably 25 times a year. A lot of it was through an airplane or with a ground rig. Now we're down to possibly two times. Sometimes it's not even any at all. So what's better for the carbon footprint? What's better for sustainability? We're using less chemistry to produce a crop and the yields have improved and it's a much safer environment for all of us out here. So 
as, as far as technology goes, um, we hear a lot about these automated uh, tractors that you could run by, you know, your cell phone and so on. We talk about drones. Are you using any of those technologies as well? Well, you know, that's a great idea. But the problem with that, in my opinion, from my experience, is the tractor can be driven with, you know, somehow else. But what the tractor is doing is the implement it's pulling or is planning or something. You have to have an operator there to see what's going on because if something's not right, you have to stop and fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing for me is a straight row. People are always proud of their straight rows. Well, struggling to keep a row straight, that was a sense of pride for us. Mm-hmm. Really driver fatigue. Well, now with the auto steer, it holds a straight row. And we are not so focused on keeping our road straight where we can be focused on what's going on behind us, which is the important task we're doing, and make sure all that's being done correctly. Gotcha. Well, let's move to the weather, because certainly as a farmer, I'm sure that you've been watching this very carefully. I know you've traveled to other parts of the country as well. Um, One of the most important factors in farming, and the one that, you know, farmers can't really control is the weather. What's been the impact from these two recent hurricanes? And as much detail as you can give us, Jimmy, I know that our retailers want to know how it's going to affect them as well. Well, the Hurricane Florence that hit my friends in the Carolinas never made it this far to where I am. I'm in the southwest corner of Georgia, probably 150 miles from the coast of Florida where Michael hit. My friends there had much more rainfall than we did. They had uh, excess of 20 to 25 inches of rain, which is a completely different type of devastation than we had. What we had here was probably six to eight inches of rain, but you have 100 to 105 mile an hour winds this far inland, it was very devastating. Georgia has a really vast ag industry. Where I am, there's cotton grown, there's corn, there's peanuts, there's some tobacco, there are huge chicken industry, huge pecan industry, timber, all of that was dominated, I mean, just destroyed. You have timber on the ground, you have chicken houses on the ground, I don't know how long it's going to be before that effect is felt at the consumer level. I do think other areas will gear up to try to help supply, but that's not something you can put back together in a hurry. Three out of four pecan trees in these groves are on the ground, is my understanding from my friends that are in the pecan business. To get that grove back going, you're looking at eight to ten years before it starts producing nuts again. Those guys have been really devastated. You know, a simple stand of timber that you take for granted that, you know, we have to have the wood to, where the economy is going right now with construction. You know, you got to have 25 years before you get that tree big enough where he can become saw logs. It's been very, very, very tough on everybody. The crop that probably fared the best would probably be peanuts. Peanuts are grown underground. Excess water would have been really bad for us. The 20, 22 inches of rain they had in the Carolinas was tough on their peanut crop. We didn't have that much. We're back harvesting peanuts, and peanuts seem to be okay. The problem with that, the infrastructure was down. You have a peanut warehouse and an elevator that takes the peanuts up to dump in the warehouse. A lot of elevators are on the ground. They've been working around the clock to get those elevators back up. It's just a hard pill to swallow. If something doesn't happen, you'll have a lot of 
a lot of farmers out of business down here. I don't know the impact of what the government can do. And y'all know just as well as I do how slow the wheels of our government does move. You got people really hurting and we don't know what we're going to do. Me personally, I probably lost a half a million dollars of revenue from my cotton crop. That's going to be a hard pill to swallow. So, Jimmy, what does this kind of devastation do to the land? I mean, you talked a bit about, you know, the trees being down. It, it, it might take a decade or more to recoup the losses. But the soil itself, has that been damaged? Oh, no. No, I, I, I think, this, you know, we normally have remnants of hurricanes come through. By the time they get here, we're looking at 30, 40 mile an hour winds. You get salt water mixed in with the rain that the hurricane sucked up out there and dumped on us, but there's not any damage. And there's a lot more of a minimum tillage going on in my area. I know for a fact I'm a fourth generation farmer. I'm sure you go back farther than that, a lot of people farm. So I'm sure my lineage is back far as you want to know in the ag business somehow. I want to leave this land better for my kids that are behind me. A farmer's not going to do something that's going to affect his land, so it's going to hurt his production, so it's going to hurt his income. That's what a lot of people really, you know, don't understand. I've had questions through social media about, you know, stuff I'm doing is hurting my farm. I'm like, no, ma'am, I don't do stuff like that. And that's what you're being told is not correct because I live here. I drink the water here. I have a well, you know, and I'm fine. What we do is very sustainable. I mean, we've been doing this forever and we take care of our property just like anybody's going to take care of their business to try to keep it going. So what, if anything, can farmers and ranchers strive to do um, in the future to avoid this kind of devastation from the weather? Is there anything that can be done or this is it? You just have to keep your fingers crossed. Well, if, if I was to give some advice to some farmers coming up, um, and I don't know how many people realize this, but myself, as long as a lot of growers, I put up everything I own, everything is used for collateral for me to borrow the money to make a crop. So every year I'm fully invested. I hear all this talk about corporate farms. I don't know a single corporate farm. Everybody I know is a family operation, families involved. But I would say build you some collateral. Build you equity in your business. Take that equity, if you can, to become diversified. Put your, you know, invest in some other things when you have good years so that in a situation with Mother Nature that you all know we can't control, maybe it won't hurt you so bad. Maybe you have another stream of income that can help weather the storm. Because you just, you never know when these things are going to happen. We did everything we could, but, you know, all of a sudden, five days out, you see, oh, God, it's going to come hit us. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have harvested all you can, all that was ready. You can't harvest something that's not ready. I did see a lot of questions on social media. Why hadn't they already harvested the crop? Well, you don't harvest that tomato if he's not ripe. Right. You just, you got, it's got to be ready for you to do that. Timing is everything. Very timing. Um, you know, I've, I've built up a lot of equity. Now it's probably fixing to be eaten up in order to, to continue. That's kind of the thought I had. If you can diversify, you know, I'm vertically integrated in a couple of other businesses I have, but they're directly related to this farming. So therefore, when, when it's wiped out, 
that's going to hurt my other business also. Uh, you know, diversify if you can, if you can. And always, uh, you always heard the expression, save for a rainy day. Well, so let's save for a hurricane. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Farm Food Facts. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab. We will be back next week, January 9th, with a new edition of Farm Food Facts.